how many of you were here last week? How many of you were not here last week? Oh, wow, quite a few. Well, we started something I called unconditional. And last week we talked mostly about the unconditional love that God has for us and how we were designed to function in that love, how God compares His relationship to us with, as, as, as being the ch church, being the bride of Christ, and how that unconditional love that He created us for is how our marriages are supposed to function. We talked about how you can't get unity by threatening disunity and how God has designed us to function with unconditional love. And I, as, as I was thinking about unconditional love, I realized there are a lot of things that God does unconditionally. And it's not just love. So last week we talked about love. This week we're going to talk about a few more things that God does unconditionally. And one of those things is forgiveness. Now, when I say this, how many of you guys like read the labels at, at the grocery store? You ever see those ones that say no sugar added? And you're like, wait a minute. It says no sugar added, but there's already sugar in the apple juice because the apples had sugar. And I want to I make a little clarification here when I talk about forgiveness. Because God's forgiveness has no conditions added. But it's not automatic. We understand we're not just... If, if forgiveness was completely unconditional without even the need for us to request His forgiveness, then everyone would automatically be forgiven. There would be no sin. No one would be fall in, in sin. Everyone would be completely forgiven, and that is called universalism. And unfortunately, it's not in the Bible. Can I tell you something? If it was there, I would definitely tell you about it because that would be pretty fun. I mean, it'd be like, hey, you can't go wrong. But unfortunately, we can fail to respond to his forgiveness. This is what the Bible says. It says in John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So what it's saying is if you believe in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God goes to Jesus Christ. He took that wrath on him. We, we achieve that forgiveness. The forgiveness is unconditional. Now, here's a question. So, how many of you guys have ever been in a car accident? How many of you ever wrecked someone else's car? Like mom, dad, friend, you borrowed the car and then you got in an accident? Do you remember what you felt like when you had to tell them? There's just this like sinking pit because you realize something. You can't make them forgive you. You can't. And there's, there's, there's something about forgiveness. It cannot be earned. So let's say that, that I total my car. And the person who crashes into me happens to be Bill Gates. 
He gets out, he looks at it, says, oh, it's a 2005 Honda Pilot. You know, here's a check. I'll get you a 2017. If I came to you and said, I forgave Bill Gates, what would you guys say? You forgave him? What's there to forgive? He just bought you a brand new car. But if I was in a car accident with an uninsured motorist who then says, sorry, I'm out in a vehicle. How many of you know I have something I need to forgive? We understand intuitively that if it's been paid, no forgiveness is needed. But when we have, when they can't pay, that is when we need forgiveness. And it's the same way with when we're seeking people. We can't force them to forgive. And that's why we get that feeling in the pit of our stomachs when we've done something and we know we're going to have to go to someone for forgiveness, whether you crashed their car or, or you did whatever it is that you've done and you realize, oh, I'm going to have to ask forgiveness. We recognize it's up to them. They can tell me, they can forgive me, or they can withhold forgiveness. I, I remember the first car accident that I was ever in. I was driving, my mom was in the passenger seat, so I didn't have to wait long. <laughs> but I did have to wait to tell my dad, and that felt a lot worse. And I tried to take a turn in the winter when it was snowing, and it didn't turn. And I just went straight through the corner and smashed into a tree. I went right between a, a telephone pole and the guide wire, and the guide wire came and it scraped this car and smashed back the mirror, and then my trunk slammed into a big branch. I remember my brother had nobody with him on his first one, and he slid off the road, rolled my parents' car. And like, I remember listening to the voicemail that he left at like 2 a.m. or whatever it was, and when he had to tell, I, I rolled the car. And I mean, there was just, oh, it, it feels so bad to have to ask for forgiveness and then only hope to receive it. But here is the good news. See, the Bible says that he will forgive. It says he has forgiven. This is what John chapter 19, 30 says. Therefore, when Jesus had received, Jesus was hanging on the cross. He said, when he received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. What was finished? The work that he did. The paying for our sins. Ephesians chapter 34 verse 32 says this. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. When did Christ forgive us? Does, did it say as Christ forgives you? It didn't say forgives. It said forgave. See, we have been forgiven. So, bring that back to the parallel. When, when I crashed my dad's car, what if I knew I'd already been forgiven? I, I heard a story about somebody who, who put a note in the glove box next to the license and registration for their kid knowing that 
when they went reaching for their license and registration, it was because they were in trouble. And this kid had gotten in an accident and had to get the license and registration out for the police officer who came. And when he opened it up, there was a note in there that said, if you're reading this, I'm glad you're okay. I can replace the car. I can't replace you. Now, what did that child realize? They knew ahead of time that they were forgiven. See, that's the way God operates with us. Is he says, I sent my son to die on the cross for you. You are forgiven. You don't, you don't have to earn that forgiveness. He doesn't stand, wait, all right. You know, okay, so what'd you do? How much you got in your bank account? Because this is going to cost you big. No, that's not the way God works. That's the way my dad worked. But it's not the way God worked. He was like, well, you're paying for it, so... And I did, and I was forgiven, but I still had the consequences. Ephesians chapter 4 says, as Christ forgave us. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is condemnation? Condemnation is feeling not good enough. It's like, oh, I, I'm in trouble. I didn't, I can't. It says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. What did Jesus do? He came as a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law be fully met. How met is the righteous requirement of the law? Fully. So, am I forgiven if I just do something else? It's sad, but a lot of us have this idea that we have to earn our forgiveness. I have had theological discussions with people who said, it just, you, you have to do something to get it. There are entire invented theological places, purgatory. <clears throat> Doesn't show up in Scripture anywhere, but people figured you got to pay for it somehow. So they do that. There are people who think, well, I, I'm going to have to earn my forgiveness some way. And God says, no. It was fully met. The price has been fully paid. I don't have any conditions added for my forgiveness to be complete. It says the righteous requirement of the law was fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Psalms 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I'm pretty sure everybody is, has, is aware of this, but if you take a globe and you travel north, how far can you go? North. You can get to the North Pole, but as soon as you get to the North Pole, you're not going north anymore. Suddenly you're going south. And you can go south all the way to the South Pole, but then... 
you start going north. But if you go east, how far can you go east? You can just keep going and going and going. And you can go west and just keep going and going and going. God knew that. And he said, it's as far as the east is from the west that your sins, I, I am getting, I abolish them. Now, when, when does he forgive you? When did he pay the price for your sins? See, he already did it. And he says that we just have to believe. We just have to be in him. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three gathered together in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive those who sin against me? Up to seven times? He's thinking he's all hot stuff because he said seven and that's, you know, a big number. And, and Jesus answered and said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So here's the thing. God has already forgiven us. We just have to react to his forgiveness. What does the Bible say? It says, we talked last week that love, when did Jesus begin to love us? Not when we loved him. It says when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he loved us first and then we react to that love. He forgives us first and then we react to his forgiveness. How do we react to forgiveness? We forgive others. We know the, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's found in Matthew 18. And this story is so powerful. In verse 28, the master, this, this man, comes before the, the king and he says he, he owes a debt that he could never pay. It's like millions of dollars. And the king says, I'm going to throw you in jail and I'm going to sell your family as slaves to just start to pay the debt. But you'll never pay it off in your lifetime. And he begs for mercy, and the king gives him mercy. And he leaves there, and he goes and finds somebody who owes him just a little bit of money. And he refuses to forgive that person, and he puts that person in jail until they can pay him back just a small amount. And when the king hears about it, he says he was wicked. He was wicked. Why? Because he didn't react that way. Hebrews, the way he should, he should, didn't react with forgiveness. When we have been loved, we should react with love. When we have been forgiven, we should react with forgiveness. Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, See that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I like what the Phillips translation says. Listen to this. It says, Let it be your ambition to live at peace with all men and to achieve holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Look at this. Be careful that no one of you or none of you fails to respond to the grace which God gives. That is, fails to react to God's grace. For if he does, there can be very easily, there can very easily spring up in him a bitter spirit which is not bad in itself, but it can also poison the lives of many others. What does a bitter spirit do? It's poison. 
It's poison. And where does it come from? It comes from not responding to God's grace. See, we are to forgive others not because they earned it. Because we've already covered that. If they need forgiveness, it's because they can't pay for it. They can't earn it. By very definition, forgiveness is given to those who have not earned it. If they earned it, it wasn't forgiveness. Can you, can you grasp that with me? If we're waiting around for someone to earn forgiveness, it's futile. You can't do that. God says, that's not what, no. He says, I forgave you. You respond to the forgiveness you received by forgiving others. You recognize that you have been forgiven, so then you turn around and you forgive others. I have a note here, and it says this. It says, just like AIDS destroys the natural immune system, bitterness destroys the spiritual immune system. You see, that scripture, Hebrews 12, it talks about how if you don't react to God's grace by extending grace and forgiveness to others, then you allow bitterness in, and that's poison. It will destroy your life. Jesus said it was the hardness of heart, it was a lack of forgiveness that caused marriages to fail. When the Pharisees try to trick him with questions and try to talk him, well, why did, why did Moses give him permission to have divorce anyway? And he says, he didn't say it's because there, there are some jerks out there that just can't be married to anybody. That's not what he said. He said because of the hardness of their hearts. It was unforgiveness. It was unforgiveness. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. What kind of forgiveness do we give? Mark chapter eleven twenty five. 25, it says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. That sounds pretty unconditional, doesn't it? Anything against anyone. Anybody got a grudge that doesn't fall under anything against anyone? Do, do we have, anybody got some kind of special grudge where it's not, not against, they all fall there. Anything against anyone. And God says, forgive. Now, is he asking forgiveness? Is he requiring forgiveness for your benefit or for theirs? We think, oh, God wants me to let that person off the hook. No. No. Romans 12, 19 says, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 1 Timothy 5, 24 says, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. You know what that means? Some people pay before they die. Others pay afterwards. See, God is not trying to let someone else off the hook. He's trying to let you off the hook. When he says, if you have anything against anyone... He's trying to cure you of the poison that unforgiveness will keep in your heart. That is why we were designed to be forgiving. Because God says it is toxic. Toxic. Say it with me. Say, it is toxic 
for me to hold unforgiveness. That is why God says respond and give it to him. Another thing that we have unconditionally in Christ is acceptance. Acceptance. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For God has revealed his grace for the salvation of all people. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. Was there some condition that you and I had to meet in order to be accepted? It says, no, you didn't have to earn it. It is the gift of God. It says, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Romans Chapter 3, verse 20 through 24 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. What he's saying is this, nobody is going to by themselves work their way into perfection and be declared righteous before God. No one. No one. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Why was, there, why was the law there? It was to demonstrate that, you know what? You can't do it by yourself. Without the law, people could have been thinking, eh, I'm good enough. God says, no. No one is. But now, apart from the law, righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. How do we achieve that righteousness? Do we earn it? No. He says it comes to us through faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. We just put our faith in Christ Jesus it says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We are unconditionally accepted. Sometimes... <laughs> How many of you guys have kids? How many of you have more than one? Have you ever had the kid show up who's tattling on his brother, but simultaneously tattling on himself? <clears throat> so it's like, he, he hit me, and all I did was kick him. And it's like, they come expecting that person to get judgment and for them to get grace. You know, and sometimes that's the way we act immaturely. We, we expect other people to be judged, but, but not us. We had, in, in the Spanish congregation um, here that we meet on Sunday mornings, and, and I usually teach there. And we did a, a session where we ad, asked questions. And we had them text in questions. And one of the questions we got was, well, well, what if a mass murderer kills a bunch of people and then gets saved? Isn't that not fair? 
The question was, basically, you know, I mean, I, I know some people need to be forgiven, but probably not him, right? You know, he, he hit me and all I did was kick him. His sin is bigger than mine. Mine should be forgiven and his shouldn't. But that's not how God works. See, his forgiveness is not conditionally based on how big our sin is. God says that even our greatest, nicest, most wonderfulness is as filthy rags compared to him. See, he, he is unconditionally accepting. He's not looking at the size of our sin. He says, Jesus has died for all. I will forgive a lie. I will forgive adultery. I will forgive murder. You just have to come to me. Acts 10, 10, 34 says that God is no respecter of persons. That doesn't mean he disrespects everyone. What it means is he doesn't have favorites. God doesn't look down and say, oh, well, you know, I like people with, you know, dark eyes, but not so much people with, with green eyes. And I, I like people who, who do this, but oh, I, I don't. No, he, he loves them all. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift, so that no one can boast about it. So, this is kind of interesting. If God loves everyone the same, if he is not a respecter of persons, then, you know, the question comes if you, if you think about it a little bit well well is is everything equal is god like you know the ultimate socialist romans chapter 11 29 talks about another thing that is irrevocable but first i'm going to jump to first peter 4:10 make it hard on the guy back there 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God, or as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied. There's a difference in what God does and how he treats it. Look in Romans 11.29. It says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That is, they're, they're given without the condition that they'll be pulled back. Romans chapter 13. So here's what we're talking about. We're talking about God has given gifts to people and he doesn't take them back. Do you realize you have gifts that God has given you and whether you use them or not, they're yours? Do you realize God has given you gifts that you can use to advance the kingdom of God, or you can misuse those gifts? <clears throat> if I say the name Katy Perry, how many of you know who that is? How many of you don't know who that is? So Katy Perry is a famous singer. One of her famous songs is, is, is about, she's a lady, she talks about kissing a girl, 
raunchy song. Katy Perry sang in this church. How many of you knew that? And all of you guys are like, what? Katy Perry, her real name was Katie Hudson. And before she became famous, long before she wrote that song, before that song, or even, I don't know if she wrote it or just sang it, but long before that, she grew up in a Christian home. Her parents were pastors. And God put a gift for music in her. She came here in the late 90s, had an album that was Christian music, played in the 180 room. God put a gift in her life. Later on, she made choices not to apply that gift where God wanted it applied and has gone on to become one of the top selling musicians in recent years. See, God is putting in each one of us gifts, and he's not taking those back. You are gifted. You are gifted. I did a little bit of looking, and there are a lot of musicians who started out using their gift as God intended and then kind of swayed away. How many of you may not have recognized Katy Perry, but how many of you know the name Whitney Houston? She started out singing in the choir. The, the singer who goes by the name of Usher started out in church. Jessica Simpson, parents were youth pastors, started out in the church. Diana Ross, R-E-E-S-B-T, isn't that her? Oh, that's Aretha Franklin, she's next. Aretha Franklin. Sorry, I looked down and saw that name and thought wrong. Diana Ross, John Legend, even Elvis Presley got his start in the church. See, God, Romans chapter 12 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of us. For just as each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not all have the same function. <clears throat> Say it with me. Say, I do not have the same function. And that's on purpose. God says, I, you're a body. If we were all fingers, that would really stink. Well, who knows if it would stink? We would have nobody, nobody would be a nose to tell us. But if we, we have some people who are gifted for different things, it says, so in Christ... We, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then he goes on and he talks about, well, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage. And if it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do so diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 1 Corinthians 12, 5 and six says, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. It's the same God. You see, we have been given gifts, and God says those gifts are without repentance. 
You know, when I see somebody who's incredibly gifted to make money or to sing or, or to perform or to act or to do whatever it is, I always think, wow. Especially if they're in the secular world, I think, I wonder what God's best plan was. What, what was the design for them? Because he gave them a gift, and they chose to use it for something else. The kids and I were watching a TV show a while back about a guy who was really, really smart, and he was a criminal. And he got caught. And then they, they started forcing him to work with them and help them catch others. And I thought, you know, it's interesting, but God gave him that intellect. And it wasn't so that he could do wrong. It was so he could do right. And in that particular case, he was being forced to do it. But see, God has gifted each one of us with gifts and you know what he did? He gave it to us unconditionally. A lot of us think that he would. You ever think about the story of Samson? Samson was, was given strength. And he used it to buy prostitutes. I remember thinking, why didn't God turn it off? Did anyone else think that? So, I'm going to share a story with you from when I was in college. How many of you guys know who Benny Hinn is? Okay, I don't care what you think about Benny Hinn. God has used him tremendously over the years. And I'm going to tell you something he said. This, this isn't necessarily a scriptural truth, but it's something he said. And because he said it, I remembered it all these years. And he was talking about how the gifts of God are without repentance. And he said, when God gives us gifts and we can misuse them. And he went back into the Old Testament and he said, you remember the story when the prophet is walking along and a bunch of kids called him baldy and he cursed them and a, lion or a bear comes out and mauls them? He says, do you remember the story when the same prophet was waiting and the king sent some people to go fetch him to talk to the king and he called down fire from heaven and it burnt him up? And then the king sent another batch and he called down fire from heaven and it burnt him up? And then he sent another batch and he called down fire from heaven and it burnt him up? And finally someone came up and groveled and said, please don't burn me up, but all I'm trying to do is tell you that the king wants to talk to you. This is what Benny Hinn said. <clears throat> I don't know. We'll get to heaven and we'll find out if it's true. But this is what he said. He said, I don't believe that it was God's will that those people there. He said, that person, he said, I believe the prophet was being grumpy and he abused the gifts that God had given him. And he said, I have been given great gifts and I can abuse them, but I don't want to. You and I have been given great gifts by God. We can abuse them, or we can use them for what God intended them to be used for. 
I'm not trying to create a theological argument about what exactly happened there. I'm just telling you what someone who has been clearly used by God said. That was his opinion. And I never forgot. See, the Bible says that the gifts of God are given without repentance. Now, there's one more thing that is of unconditional value that I'm going to cover today. And we find that in Matthew 18, 20, 12 to 14, especially just after we talked about how sometimes people are given different gifts because God wants variety. So does God then value some people more than others? And this is what the Scripture says, Matthew 18, 12, verse 14. It says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go looking for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. In God's eyes, you and I have unconditional value. It does not matter to God in, the, in the, the sense of His value of you, whether you were given a gift of leadership or encouragement or prophecy or whether you have been anointed to, to be a plumber or a CEO or a a mother who, who stays at home. God does not look at that and say, oh, I'm really into CEOs, not so much those other people. He says every single person has unique value to me. Your value is not conditional based on what gifts he's given you. It's not even based on what you've done with those gifts. He says, in fact, if you have gone astray, then when you come back, he is more excited to see you come back than he is about the 99 who stayed where they were supposed to be and did what they were supposed to do. Why? Because he loves us un conditionally. See, we have been designed by God to receive unconditional love and to respond by giving unconditional love. We have been designed by God to receive His unconditional forgiveness and to turn around and to give that unconditional forgiveness. We have been designed by God, each with individual gifts, to go out and to make a difference in the world. And He will value each and every one of us exactly the same as we do things totally different. That is how we have been designed by God to function. I want to take a moment, if you bow your heads. The Bible, we just read it. God says, when, when one of my sheep goes astray, when they take off, when they go where they weren't supposed to be, I go looking for them and I want to bring them back. If there's anybody here today who says, wow, that's me. 
I know what God designed for me, and I have walked away from it. God is asking you to come home today. If that's you, whether you've never been home or you say, I was there, but I left and I needed to come back, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision today. The Bible says that he will rejoice. There's another scripture that says the angels in heaven rejoice with him when someone repents and comes back. Everyone in this room, we will be excited with you if that's you today. If there is anyone in this room today who says, I need to come back, I want you to raise your hand. Anybody here? We have one. One person. You know what? That's all it takes. God says, I am excited. He says, that's what I was looking for. He is more excited that that one person is coming back than that the rest of us stayed where we were supposed to be. Because he values us not based on what we did or what we've done, but he values us based on who he made us to be. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'd like for you to repeat with me. And sir, who raised your hand, we have a gift down here. If you'd like to come right now or you can come after service and pick that up. But let's pray. I'd like you to repeat after me as we pray. Say, Dear God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I believe that he died and rose again. I believe that he sits at your right hand. I make you the boss of my life. I will live to please you and not myself. In Jesus' name, amen.